Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Laura Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we have a special guest joining us today um, from Modern Horrors and the Not Suitable for Anyone podcast, Patrick Anderson. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so excited. And this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as movies that exist in the horror genre, but maybe they don't really scare us. Maybe they make us feel good or bring us joy. And I am so happy to talk about this movie today, Patrick, because you chose this, and you've been trying to get me to watch this movie for, what, two, three years now? (laughs) And And I finally watched it. So what movie are we talking about today, Patrick? What movie indeed? Uh, so the movie that we're going to talk about, most of you know as One Cut of the Dead, or you might know the Japanese title, which I think is better, which is Don't Stop the Camera. Mm, I did read that. Don't Stop Rolling kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But before we dive in, we are going to give a brief synopsis in case it's been a while since you've seen it. And I want to give a big, big spoiler warning here because I think this movie is best if you go in blind yes, without knowing anything about it and then watch it immediately after too because it gets better every time you watch it. Um, so if you haven't seen One Cut of the Dead yet, please go watch it now. Yeah. It's on Shutter and it's really good. Yeah, this is one you don't want spoiled for you. Yeah, turn yeah. off our podcast and go watch it and then right. come back to the podcast and then leave us a, ra- a rate and review. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. We begin with a girl getting eaten by her zombie boyfriend in what turns out to be a movie directed by a man named Takayugi Higurashi. He's a little intense. (laughs) 
While on a break so the director can chill the fuck out, we learn from makeup artists now that the location they're filming on was the site of human experimentation, specifically raising the dead. <gasps> raising the dead. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Nothing good has ever come from trying to raise the dead. No. <laughs> Just don't do it. Nope. We also learn some sick self-defense moves and the importance of yelling, pum. It makes pum. all the difference. Pum. 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 It's so cute. It is really cute. Suddenly, the casting crew are attacked by real zombies and terrorized by their maniacal director who wants to get everything on camera. Suspecting that Chinatsu has been bit, now tries to kill her and is eventually axed in the face by fellow actor Ko. In an act of love, Chinatsu decapitates Ko before he can become a zombie. Then she kills the director with an axe as revenge for being such a dick. <laughs> the end. And the credits roll. Is that it? <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Cut. So yeah, I want to just interject uh, right here. It's one thing that a lot of people uh, may not know. Um, this is a Japanese movie. Uh, in the Japanese culture, the audience stays and sits in their seats until the end of the credits. Really? Important. Um, yeah. Huh. Not just um, for Easter eggs. like Not just for right. Samuel Jackson <laughs> coming out to tell you about the next chapter. Right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's nice as like, respect to the actors, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. No, it's quite all right. And that's yeah. why at this point, after the credits roll that we cut to one month ago. <laughs> of the day. <laughs> <laughs> we, here we get extra meta as we meet the real Higurashi, an easygoing director whose motto is fast, cheap, and average. He's pitched an idea for an indie zombie movie, the film we saw at the beginning. It would be a 30-minute live broadcast with one camera and no cuts. Once he realizes they're serious, he accepts the job. We learn that Higurashi is married to Nao and that he has a strained relationship with her daughter, Mao, a cinephile with the attitude of a young Kubrick who also wants to be a director. We meet the cast and crew, a mixed bag that includes a pop star, a bratty and brooding leading man, an older actor who's nearly sober, two actors obviously having an affair, and a guy with irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> It just is what it is. Okay. He sent an email. <laughs> exactly. He sent yeah. an email. <laughs> on the day of the live shoot, the crew sets up and starts prepping the scenes, including a big camera crane for the final shot. But it wouldn't be an indie film if everything didn't go wrong at the last minute. IBS guy has tummy troubles, the sober actor binges on booze, and banging couple get into a car accident, keeping them from participating. <laughs> In dire need of substitutes, Higurashi and Now take over the roles. The show must go on but things immediately go off the rails as Higurashi starts improvising. One problem leads to another as IBS guy keeps trying to escape scenes to find a bathroom, and the formerly sober actor must be carried around like a puppet when he's not puking in everyone's faces. It's kind of a shit show, but the audience has no idea. They're about to put the technical difficulties polar bear up, but daughter mom takes charge, whipping everything into shape and becoming the director she was meant to be. As we see all the behind-the-scenes details at work, we realize that these twists and turns are what caused the idiosyncrasies of the original film. They're almost to the finish line when the crane breaks. Faced with his climactic shot being ruined, Higurashi is about to settle for average, but Mao saves the day with an idea inspired by a picture of her and her father when she was younger. The cast and crew form a human pyramid topped by Mao holding the camera while sitting on the shoulders of her father, which raises the camera just high enough for the final shot. 
After holding the shot long enough for the credits to roll, the cast and crew celebrate together in fodder. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let me take that again. <laughs> so close. After <laughs> after holding the shot long enough for the credits. Sorry, I said, I said fodder. <laughs> it's just really fodder. Hello, mother. Hello, fodder. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Turned into Tony Soprano. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I'll check that sentence one last time. <clears throat> After holding the shot long enough for the credits to roll, the cast and crew celebrate together, and father and daughter realize they make a great team. Aww. And I'm crying at this point, because <laughs> it's so good. And then we see, and Patrick, you may know a little bit more about this, but then we see, like, the real people running behind them doing all of the stuff, and it's so Yeah, cool. the actual meta-meta-meta like, movie Right. Production. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want you want a meta moment, so you know, I I I, I flashed up a, a copy at the moment. I actually own four copies of this movie. Oh wow! Um, this is this is the original Japanese Blu-ray. Um, I also have a a rehearsal a, a rehearsal DVD, which I've never opened because um, the the DVD won't play here. Mm. I have the Third Window Films release. Oh wow! And uh, and then also the Shutter Steelbook. <laughs> So you would say that you like this movie? So, yes. uh, a little bit. Um, well, and so for our feelings check, um, which, is where, which is where we talk about our first experience with this movie and how it makes us feel when we're watching it. Patrick, I know that you're a fan of this movie, but I didn't know that you have four copies. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I am a huge fan of this movie. Uh, I watched it first uh, for Fantasia Fest coverage in 2018. I was covering the fest remotely for Modern Horrors. So I had just had a digital screener that I watched on my laptop, and I remember um, it's it's like it's like a defining moment in my life. I remember exactly where I was and what I mm-hmm. did. Um, I was in my office in Dallas. I went across the street and I picked up some takeout, and I went came back to my office and uh, and I and I put it on, and I watched it completely alone, and I was just absolutely in love with it. But I didn't. I there was no one else had seen it. Um, you know, no one mm-hmm. else on the team, you know, had watched it. They, you know, they send the screeners just to the uh, the people who are writing the reviews, and so I had this sort of crisis of conscience because, you know, that the the first you know sort of thirty seven minutes. I mean, there's a lot of awkward stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie tonally is is a little bit all over the place. Um, there's some dramatic shifts, and I said, and I thought, you know, is this movie really as as good as I as I think it is? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, am I, did I just, you know, sort of, you know, trick myself into thinking that, um, you know, that this was, that this was amazing. And mm-hmm. finally, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go with my gut, you know, and I'm going to say exactly what I think and just talk about, you know, what my experience was. And I also had to figure out a way to review this movie without, without spoiling it, which was mm-hmm. also um, no small challenge. And I was overjoyed to find out that, you know, it was a few days later that actually premiered, you know, like live at Fantasia in the in the auditorium. And, you know, the audience reaction was great and everybody loved it. And it turns out it's it's an almost universal fan favorite. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was really glad that I went with my gut and I just went all in for the movie and I didn't, you know, sort of try to hold back at all. Mike, what about you? Well, it's funny you say that it's like almost a universal fan favorite. So I am like one of the associate program, one of the hosts and one of the associate programmers of Telluride Horror Fest. As a matter of fact, like by paying the camera, you can see like all the art from mm. like the fest mm. I've hosted. Mm. And, you know, basically my experience being a host has been great. My experience being a programmer has been 
uh, we'll recommend something in the main program. This will be like, no, we're not going to do that. So apparently we had the opportunity to screen this at Telluride Horror back in 2019. And we, and I say we, some part of the team, we turned it down. That and Anna and the Apocalypse were two movies that we said no to, uh. which to me was insane. Um, but they're like, yeah, we just don't quite get it. And we don't think it's for our crowd, which is crazy to me. I find this movie delightful personally i remember where i was the first time i saw it i was laying on my bed it was like new year's eve and it was on amazon prime for free like two months or three months after fantastic fest and everybody was going nuts like this is streaming streaming for free holy crap it like dropped unexpectedly turned out it was a pirated cut of the movie and we shouldn't have been able to see it. So it got pulled about just as quickly as it went up there. And I know that it caused Amazon to do like some changes to their, the way they do things. But yeah, I found this movie like a lot of fun. I knew that there was a big change, like 30 or so minutes into it, but I didn't know what that change was. So that like, it worked for me. And then I think like the last act, especially the closing minutes of it are especially like poignant and sweet. Uh, and there's a couple little bits that, you know, hit me uh, rewatching it in preparation for the show. So I don't think it's a horror movie. I think it's a movie about horror movies or it's mm -hmm. really a movie about movies and they just pick horror as a genre. But it's just like a really delightful, fun movie that everybody should see. Yeah. Laura, what about you? Well, I agree with this consensus. I, I, I know I saw it. It, it, it must have been early-ish 2019 and i don't know what version of it i saw i just know that my the, the boyfriend i was with at the time got his hands on it somehow and i went in totally blind other than knowing it was getting a lot of buzz and you know so i i didn't know what to expect i'm not a fan of zombie movies as a general rule i think i can count like five or six zombie movies that i think are actually really good so I, you know, I, I was just kind of like, I don't know, let's see what, what's going on here. And so, of course, for the first 30 minutes, I was like, what the fuck is going on? What is this shit? And then obviously, it, I mean, one of the best payoffs in anything that I've ever seen in terms of like setup and payoff. And as an independent filmmaker, at least I was in a past life, you know, I found this to be so relatable, so delightful um just like couldn't you i've never seen anything that quite captures the spirit of like whatever can go wrong will go wrong that actually does happen when you're trying to make a movie with no money <laughs> and like mm. uh and it's just and it's got such a heartwarming center i agree that it's not a horror movie i it almost to me watching it today you know i did watch it this morning whoops i shouldn't don't say i shouldn't say that because i'm supposed <laughs> to be working um but i i what I watched We're when I watched it Saturday. When right? I watched it recently, that? when I watched it recently, um, I was like, oh, you know, it feels almost like it could have been like a TV show or something. It kind of had more of like a TV comedy vibe, especially with like that soundtrack and everything. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, I think it's. I mean, it's just wonderful. I have nothing but positive things to say about this movie. So, yeah, yeah, this was. I really enjoyed this. Same, Laura. I'm not a huge zombie fan. Um, I also don't have a ton of time to watch movies that I'm not going to do a podcast about or I'm not going to write about. So like sometimes if it's found footage or subtitles where I can't be multitasking, I tend to kind of 
give it a pass. And I don't know if I would have watched this, Patrick, if not for you picking it for this episode. And I like Patrick and I know each other from back when I was on the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. And I think I was on the Modern Horror Slack at the time. And I remember you raving about this movie. And I remember you being like, I can't tell you anything about it watch it like both like on Twitter and just in the slack and just thinking it was amazing um, and I remember like you being the only one that had seen it for a while too and it was like it's like this this looks okay but you know it just doesn't seem like it's really up my alley and so I hadn't seen it until just last night I watched it finally for this episode and I had avoided like I knew there was a big tonal shift and I think I could kind of figure out what it was. But like the experience of watching it, I was not really prepared for. And it was so delightful, I think, is a great word. Like it's just so much fun. Now, I watched this at like 930 last night and I was super tired. So I found myself in that middle section kind of dozing off every once in a while, not because the movie was not enjoyable, but because I was super tired. Um, so I watched it again this morning and it was so much more fun to watch it the second time because I was watching the first movie, that first 37 minute shot and I was like oh okay and I was putting everything together and it and every time I saw the boom mic guy like just sitting awkwardly it cracked me up because I knew why you know and it's just so it's one of those that like I don't think it should be cut in a different way like I think it is perfectly put together but it really really benefits on rewatch and so I got to have that experience this morning which was really 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 fun it was just it's just a feel-good movie and I was not expecting to feel as good as this movie made me feel so you know so glad that I finally finally checked it out and that you have been campaigning for it for so long Patrick <laughs> thank you for bringing this movie into my life so uh, yeah I mean that is that is the real magic of this movie I think um and it's why I revisit it often uh you know sometimes I'll just watch certain parts of it um you know sometimes I just have to sit down and watch it start to finish but there's just so many there's so many things that just ring true for just my life. I mean, I don't, I don't make horror movies or anything like that. I don't, I'm not a director, but I know, I know what it's like to, you know, I mean, we all, and I think we all do. Like it's, it's, it's really like a workplace comedy is, mm-hmm, is what mm-hmm. this movie is, you know, and we know what it's like to work as part of a team and, and, you know, and just those scenes when they're in rehearsals and everything's going wrong and the baby is screaming and stuff. And he just, he just gets this look on his face like, Okay, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my life. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we've all we've all felt that. Um, and then as a father, that um, that that final scene uh, just hits me, uh, and it makes me tear up every time because um, you know, I mean, I my my kids are older now. I mean, my kids are teenagers, and soon they'll be up, they'll be grown and out of the house, and you know, off to college and getting jobs. And you know, I don't know what kind of relationship we're gonna have. Um, you know, and the relationship that we have now when they're 13 and 15 is not the relationship you have with, you know, a five and seven year old, mm-hmm. you know, and so just sort of going through that change, you know, and so when she shows her dad the photograph and then it cuts to his face mm-hmm. and it's just like a straight on close up and he just has that like little awkward smile and I just tear up every time because that's, you know, that's how I feel. Yeah, me too. But I don't feel like it's like overly saccharine, you know, like they just smile at each other. It's not like, oh, our family is wonderful now and she's going to be the <laughs> next big director. You know, like it's just like this really sweet moment, you know, and then everybody yeah. is having that moment together and it's just so sweet. 
Well, so speaking of that moment and all of the other details that we love, let's kind of dive into the specifics. Um, what do we love? What do we find comforting? And what brings us joy? And I think like the teamwork thing is what really got me because um, I was even tearing up at the end where you were seeing the outtakes of the other team doing it. And I was like, oh, my God, they really did this. And there's like <laughs> these people who were acting it out. And it was just so cool. And I think like we're coming off a year of basically working from home. Like uh -huh. it was so nice to just see people like working together and like running over and pitching in and like trying to find people and like holding the, the I kept calling him grandpa in my notes but holding grandpa up and like moving him like a puppet and it was just this so nice and like you really feel that relief and that celebration when they have succeeded you know I mean it, like I said this really captured everything that I love about filmmaking and I'm gonna start getting emotional because oh. I mean you know because I I haven't been able to do it you know in so long and I put one of my plans in 2020 was to make another short film and that got you know and so like you can sort of not think about it for a long stretch of time and then seeing this today you know I was like Oh, because like before, you know, the last time I watched this movie was early 2019 or whenever it was, but it was obviously a long time before this pandemic. And like, I haven't thought, I haven't like had filmmaking so in my face and that captured, I mean, that is why I love filmmaking, that it's this collaborative effort and you have, and as like the, the creative mind behind it, you can have a vision that you try to like steer people through, but all this chaos is going to happen, but it's like the best possible kind of stress. And it's, and that's why like, you know, filmmaking is the ultimate collaborative art. If one person wasn't part of it, the whole thing would fall apart. You know, it's it's never just the, the auteur or something that is, you know, responsible for it. It really is the team. And like that, I just, this just really hit me hard today when I was watching it. Like, I miss this so much. I miss being with people. I miss like, and it's like, it's a, filmmaking is this like physical act. It's like, you're exhausted by the end of it. You're on your feet, you're running around, you're problem solving and it's chaotic. And like, I just, and it makes you just completely get out of your own head. And I think that that's what I love so much about filmmaking. So having that combined with this really sweet family story combined with like the horror genre it's just I mean it's it's a wonder it's a wonderful movie <laughs> yeah it's just so much fun and because everything that could go wrong goes wrong you know and one of my favorite things is I called him boom mic guy because like he he's playing boom, the boom, boom mic guy in yeah. His pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah or he's also going boom boom <laughs> Yeah. Just, oh. oh my god. Yeah. Like the line where he's like, it's coming out. That was Poop. so gross. <laughs> like I felt I feel really bad for him and he's like pooping and they're putting the makeup on him and stuff. I was like, I Oh I know. Could have done without that, but <laughs> that, that makeup girl is gonna need uh excuse me, that makeup artist is gonna need therapy, I think. I yep. just I can't imagine like there's there's uh, there's not many things that are more traumatic, I think, than trying to put makeup on a on a grown man like while he's taking a dump. He's like it's weeping. Just, uh, he's crying because uh -huh. he's so humiliated. I felt for that guy. <laughs> I was like, this is uh, my worst nightmare. I, I don't understand why he had a towel wrapped around his head like a bandana. <laughs> the whole movie, I'm like, is that a thing? I'm like, he just had a bath towel wrapped around his head like a he, bandana. He's a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, true. Don't don't panic. Get your towel. Uh, I mean, he's sweating a lot. Yeah, I guess to avoid the sweat getting in his eyes, because then you can't operate. But there are headbands. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I mean, I'm like, not that's here the, to... The point isn't like that he had something... The point with the specific thing was like he had a bath towel wrapped around his head. <laughs> like, that's just... It was weird, man. It's it weird. It's just really weird. He's trying to start a trend. 
I was mesmerized like, by the fact that it never seemed to slip. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they even had it on the the double head, the head that comes off that they throw in, and it had a securely <laughs> tied towel also on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, you meant, you, keep, you mentioned, you know, like the boom mic and, and all this other stuff. And like, you know, when I watched the movie, like I intuitively understood by the end of the movie, you know, normally you shoot a zombie movie and you have actors playing zombies. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, you have actors who are playing actors who are playing zombies. Mm-hmm. And I, and I had wrapped my head around that okay. Uh, but then on some of the DVDs and Blu-rays, there is a GoPro version of the film, which oh, wow. is they basically just had a guy with a GoPro strapped to his head. And he just followed the camera operator while they shot the 37-minute one-take sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so then I started watching that, and I realized, wait, wait, there's an actual cameraman and an actual boom operator. Right. And, you know, that you never see. That's the meta, the meta, thing. meta. It's and, the turducken. And it's so meta. Yeah. yeah. And I got, I had like, I had this, like, existential crisis watching that. I was like, oh, what's his name from Ex Machina? Like, <laughs> is, is, there a, is there a boom mic? Like behind my head right now. Uh-huh. You never know. You never know. There One day it's be. just gonna pop into the shot, and you know, like a tear in the fabric of reality, and a boom mic comes sticking through, and then you'll be like, ah, it's a little phallic. Yeah. I don't like know. the Truman Show when the mm-hmm. light just falls. Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing I noticed about all of the crew, which I really loved, was it seems, and I I don't know for sure, but it seemed like a lot of the crew that we saw at the end of the movie were a lot of men. And that a lot of the crew in the movie were were women or girls, and and I loved that that they just like they showed like, hey, ladies, you can do this stuff too. It yeah, they were like a- they they created the world they wanted to see, not not the world that they actually hired for. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that's no shade at all to the crew that actually filmed it because that imagine. And let's talk about that in a minute because I mean that would have been really really hard. But I just loved that. I, that was a nice little touch well, that I thought. You know, yeah, they they even had the little sort of dynamic between the guy that was playing the the one shot DP and the mm-hmm. and the female and he, that he was working with, and then she like at some point he drops the camera and she takes over, and then she's doing her shots and ever that she was talking about at the beginning, and everyone really yeah. likes it. It was it was like yeah. I didn't even I don't even think I picked up on that the first time I saw this movie, but then I was like, oh, now that I, I was sort of able to pay attention more closely because I wasn't confused by what was happening i was it was like oh that was just such a nice little you know and the fact that the daughter gets to like save the day you know kind of it's it's great well and i think in the outtake at the very end like there's a part where she just eats it into some bushes and i think that like the other guy did too and i was like i love that they threw that in you know like the the real cameraman when they were shooting it (laughs) well that was so the scene there's a scene where the cameraman falls down and like and and so the camera's just sitting on the ground mm-hmm. and there's a there's sort of a fight going on and then they run off in the other direction and everyone's sitting there watching going okay why are we just staring at the shot and i guess that was written in because because the camera guy during rehearsals kept falling over really and and they thought it was funny so they yeah so he wrote it into the movie mm-hmm. um the the way this movie was written is is amazing to me this writer and director is is super talented uh, because he basically just went to a workshop and said, hey, who wants to make a movie? And you know, whatever, 12, 15 people, however many people show up. And he sort of got to know them. And based on getting to know them, he wrote this movie. He had no idea what kind of movie he wanted to make until he met his uh, his cast and crew. That's oh, amazing. Wow. I love that. Well, and to kind of go back a little bit to what I said about who they cast for the movie. I had read that it was part of a workshop. And so I guess that's just like we're creating characters for these actors and actresses which i think is really cool too 
It said at the end of the credits that it was based on a play, which I found puzzling. I think it was inspired by. I don't because I saw that too, but I can't remember. Um, it was. Uh, uh, gosh, I, I should I have researched it, it, but I didn't. Welcome to how lazy I am, everyone. <laughs> You're not lazy. I just noted I, it and then didn't. It was a play was, called Death Trap. <laughs> it was. It was. I think it was a play. Yeah, it was called it like Ghost in a Box or something. And I was like, yes. trying, and maybe it was like conceptually inspired by it. But I'm like, this is such a movie movie, a movie about movies that I don't fundamentally understand how it could be based on a play. But yeah. And I think like maybe not an adaptation, mm-hmm. but like maybe inspired by or mm-hmm. something. But well, Mike, what do you love about it? Um, You know, really, for me, it's about the end of the movie. The shot with the da- the daughter and, and dad at the end and how they kind of come together in like watching everybody come together and make that human pyramid uh and mm-hmm. also like you get to see the awkward the reason for the awkward po- awkward pauses as well as we're kind of like eyeballing it to make sure that everything is going to go well the moment that really got to me watching it again this time was when um the director is like fighting to get like that crane shot in and he like really starts you know advocating for it and the producer is like it's TV, man. It's not art. He's like, your average will do. And I just kind of like, it really hit me because I just wonder like how many times that we go to people and say like, don't just don't worry about it. Just like phone it in or mail it in. And like how much that bothers us, you know, that we don't mm-hmm. always do the best. Like, you know, especially like working with kids in school. And I think it's like a lot of pressure, like grades or whatnot. Like I'm pretty fond of telling a kid like, do your best. Like you try as hard as you can. And like, even if it's not perfect, no one can take away your best from you. You know, that's why I love Rocky so much. It's why I love, like, he's like, I'm not going to beat Apollo Creed, but if I just give him my best Mm -hmm. and just go the distance, like that's good enough. Like that's a win. So for him to be told when he's really kind of like found his voice and he's really reinvigorated his film shooting to have it like completely deflated. It was like the moment that really hit me. Yeah, I found that also pretty impactful, especially like as a quote unquote artist, I feel very uncomfortable saying <laughs> putting that label on myself. But like, I mean, I've been there with the stuff that I've made and, you know, it's it's something I don't love to talk about a lot, but I, I, I worked on a lot of projects with my ex and, you know, we were kind of a collaborative duo working on a lot of stuff. And I, and I feel I felt pretty like, you know, deflated by the end of that experience. And it was part one of the reasons I made my short film short leash was to tell myself that you know I I could do it I could do it on my own and um I could do it to my own vision and and actually create something that people would like and what came out at the other end it has taken me a long time to be at all okay with it because I really really hated it for a long time but like I did I stuck to my guns I stuck to my vision and I did my best I had no money I mean barely any money so obviously there's a lot of things that suffer for that when you're trying to make something especially like a fucking movie which is so stupidly ambitious and I don't recommend that anyone try it (laughs) you know it's but but yeah I mean there's something about that like sticking to your artistic guns vibe you know or theme I should say that runs through this movie that is really like sort of catches you off guard impactful because this whole movie seems so zany and fun and but when you really start to process some of those themes you're like oh that's that's really meaningful and the fact that like his daughter and sort of her you know the arrogance of youth is so you know stick to it her stick to it of tit ifness oh my god you know what i'm trying to say hopefully Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know he needs that he needs to see that in order to remember 
that he can do that himself as an artist, you know, that he doesn't just have mm-hmm. to resign himself to the corporatocracy and the, and the like, you know, averageness of it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it is, it's really inspiring. It makes me want to go out and make something. Because that's part of collaboration too. And I experienced that in my job where like it has been said, like you just can't care that much, you know, because it's, it really hurts when your ideas don't work out or mm-hmm. like you, something like I spent, three days writing a paragraph that got cut down to a single sentence one time and it was just like it was like but I mean that's that's how it is and so it becomes easier to accept average you know and I love that I like you said like that youthfulness of like no we can do this we're gonna do this it's not gonna look exactly like what we thought but but in the end like I found myself wondering what the original script was you know what the original Mm -hmm. plan for the movie was and I think I don't know if they would say it's better what they got was better or worse but I mean it's I think it's pretty great you know yeah and that's part of making any kind of things like this is you have to accept what comes out at the other end and there's like a period of mourning that happens when what is in your head turns into a reality that isn't exactly what you saw you know but then you just have to learn to appreciate the thing that comes out of the other end you know <laughs> like yeah yeah in my uh my other my old job I was an elementary music school teacher and so I would do musicals with like kindergarten and first grade and you know the, I would have those moments where I'm in the middle of it and there are like 500 people in the room watching me and I'm like this is not going to be what I want it to be, but I have got to keep smiling and get through it because there is no other choice. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the Rocky yeah. moment. That's like you did your best. And but yeah, and you and when you do that, you win the hearts and minds of the people. <laughs> you do. Yeah. yeah. Even if they don't know, because that's the other thing is like the lady in the booth is like, it was great. Yeah, was exactly. Exactly. I love that moment. It was just so such a perfect yeah. button. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, we've all had that. We've all had a boss like that. <laughs> who, you know, you are busting your ass behind the scenes. You're running left and right. Uh, I, I remember, gosh, it was like 10 years ago now. I, re- I went to trial, um, my one and only jury trial. And uh, I was running the, um, the, the paralegal team, managing them pretty much 24-7. I had to be in the courtroom because, you know, we were, I was also um, you know, helping prep the expert witness. So I had to know, you know, what, what got admitted to evidence, evidence and what didn't so that we knew what he could talk, could and couldn't talk about. And, mm-hmm. and I had no time to sleep. You know, I mean, I was mm-hmm. just constantly, I was just constantly running because every night after, you know, after the, the rest of the legal team had finished their thing, then I'd have to go to the paralegal team and say, okay, here's all the stuff we need for tomorrow. You know, get the printer fired up, get the binders ready. Mm-hmm. And it was just this constant thing. Um, and it was just a series of, of fires to be putting out left and right. And, you know, and, and I just know that the, the client is not allowed to see any of that, right? They mm-hmm. can't see you panicking. They can't see you sweating and freaking out. They have to believe that you are in control. So when you get to the end, they think, oh, well, that all went really smoothly. <laughs> there weren't, weren't any problems at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no course. idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the the waiter like at the restaurant you know back in the kitchen you don't mm-hmm. know what kind of chaos is going on back there and they kind of bond you in a way it's like we know oh, yeah. we have this secret we know how hard this was because the goal is to make it look easy exactly right. and that's i mean that's all that's all anything you've that requires effort you know <laughs> that, that, that's what it is <laughs> right. on the back end you know yeah well speaking of requiring effort let's talk about um, maybe the most impressive part of this movie is that that is a legit 37, I think, minute mm-hmm. 
one shot, one camera, like no hidden edits. Like that's yeah. amazing. Orson Welles, eat your heart out. Yeah. It just, yeah. I was watching that. It's like, geez. I mean, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And if you, if you have the chance to watch the GoPro version, I mean, you can really see uh, just how athletic they all are. I mean, it was, you know, it's an endurance race, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they have to run around, they have to do all the stuff, the, you know, you have to distinguish the real crew from the acting crew and make sure that someone that's not supposed to be in the shot doesn't get in the shot and, you know, and one mistake and we got to reset and go all the way back to first positions and start all over. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at least, yeah. if nothing else, they weren't really doing it live on a live broadcast. They at least had that going for them. <laughs> right. But, but especially yeah. also because they had the stuff that we see in the 37 minutes, and then we, they had the, the real cameras. And, the you know, when I, when I say real cameras, I mean it looked significantly better when in the second oh. half of the movie it looked like a professional film, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just, I mean, it's really amazing. And, and I will say, like, People do not realize, especially like actual DPs and like cinematographers, it is absolutely athletic. But if you see those those people who walk around with like Steadicam rigs hooked up to them or jibs or something like that shit is difficult. Phys- it's a mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. athletic act. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love it so much. And like <laughs> I it's like I was thinking about um, this is a really highfalutin comparison. But this movie I at the other week I, we watch I have like a quarantine movie series I do with my friends where we all watch a good movie together on Fridays and then we get online and talk about it. Um, we watched Tarkovsky's Stalker which I had been putting off and off because I knew it was like three hours long and Russian and like droning. Um, but like that movie <laughs> kind of has a lot in common with this movie and that they were these <laughs> insane artistic visions that like, and that movie, they, they shot the entire movie and then they sent the prints the, of the film to get developed and then it all got destroyed and they had to shoot the whole movie over again. Uh, and it's, and it's literally, it's so long <laughs> and it's like, and, and I found this article about all the behind the scenes stuff and they were using these huge Soviet cameras, like old, old ass heavy equipment and they were in an abandoned water processing facility or something which has also made me think of this movie and apparently a bunch of the people on on the like casting crew all got like sick and like died after they filmed because it was like you know but that's just like that's it's such it's such an over-the-top like artistic like i'm gonna fucking make this happen come hell or high water I don't know. Mm. I just was, I just watching those two, these two movies somewhat back to back. was like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Even though it's a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. So I, this is going to sound ridiculous, but um, you know, like family and I went for a hike a couple weekends ago and there, we kept seeing armadillos and this one kind of, kind of came out in the trail and we had, we had stopped to take a break. So I got my phone out and I was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, record some footage of this armadillo. And like, I, so I got moved really slow and I crouched down and I, I got down you know, and I was crouching and I had the phone, you know, just, just like inches above the ground. And I was trying to be really quiet and really still and just trying to get him going about his, his business. And, and after like two and a half minutes, like my back just gave out and I fell over and he got scared and ran away. <laughs> like, and that was two minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is 37 minutes with, you know, professional camera equipment. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. And I fucking love armadillos. So that's cool. I do too. I found some baby armadillos in my neighborhood a little while ago. They're cute. They're gone now. I hope they <laughs> ran off to a pasture to live a better life. Somewhere. Or they just grew up into successful adult <laughs> armadillos. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they moved into a condo downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got good jobs. I got a pension. Right. Well, they went to live on an armadillo farm upstate. <laughs> yeah. It's very nice there. You know, they have a lovely life. Um, I thought it was interesting to see how close the camera was to the actors and actresses, which I think is something that like you forget, like if an actor is 
or if the movie is shot well, like you forget the act of filmmaking and how like uncomfortable as an actor it would be to have somebody in your face like that that you can't look at, you know. So I thought that was interesting. I think what I really enjoy is watching the director get all of his uh, pent up aggression and frustration <laughs> out when he gets to play the role. Yes. Like when he when he smacks around like the pretty boy actor who has really done nothing but contradict him like at yes. every step and has like tried to like you know there's that the moment at the script reading where he asks he makes some statement to the director and one of the other actors chimes in and he's like was I even talking to you it's like oh it's such a dick move mm -hmm. and such a prima donna move that it was really fun to watch him get smacked around and be told like what a prima donna he's been because there are just like there are just so many people on a daily basis that you just want to grab by the shoulders and slap across the face as hard as possible but it's just not socially acceptable yeah so we don't do it and then um you know with maybe illegal yeah it might not be it might be called assault i don't know who's to say <laughs> who, that's who, why can, he... who can who can judge um judges that's why we have a lawyer on this episode yeah. um, <laughs> do a sidebar yeah right yeah. <laughs> that and when he was it just like to see him kind of like find his voice again because like i think his his whole like gimmick was like basically he's like fast and cheap and doesn't really have a vision and doesn't really say no to what anyone asks of him so that's kind of why he was hired like he was hired because he was the only one some would say brave enough but we, everyone else around him was like dumb enough to say no this is a horrible idea you shouldn't yeah. do this. Well, even his right. even his wife like breaks his yeah. balls about it because she's like she's like oh yeah you don't i know you said yes you don't have the guts to say no right. and, their, and i'm like their apartment like our... was like uncomfortable to watch them interact <laughs> yeah like, it's I, small and yeah. yeah like they're just on top of one another there's just like literally on top of one another like i think the daughter mao like climbs over him at one point to just like get across the room to get her keys and leave it's like i don't know like that scene just painted such a sad picture of what their life is probably like mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. should we talk about uh the wife now i because she's she's i mean her performance in this is amazing <laughs> it really is it's yeah. the whole premise of getting so lost in your character as an actor that uh like you, you, you just kick <laughs> everyone in sight yeah you just start doing like spin kicks and shit like it's it <laughs> cracked me up mm -hmm. <laughs> especially when she kicks her husband in the nuts I think. Yeah. <laughs> like oh my gosh yeah she was great i will say the one problem that i have with this movie I do not like how he chokeholds her. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I get I mean, it that's... and it's fine. I'm not going to pick it apart. And I honestly, I don't know what else he would do because she was about to break that dude's arm. Yeah, yeah. That didn't bother me because of that. <laughs> like she was going around like kicking guys in the nuts and like <laughs> drop kicking people and breaking arms. Like at that point, like she needed much like the shark in Jaws, like she needed to be put down so. much yeah. like the shark and jaws yeah, in my that. notes i had she loses gets lost in her role she's kicking right. everyone and now she has an axe she must be stopped so. like you i mean you're right like you don't know what she would do with that thing like she could True. go to town you know and they had to get and they had to complete the movie she was going to ruin that was the biggest sin that's and it was that she was going to ruin the final shot yeah and that's why i can excuse it yes yes but what would she have been like if she was cast on like the japanese remake of boogie nights like what would have happened to that <laughs> what would have happened to that marriage at that point so oh, oh god oh, no. yeah oh 
Yeah, but we also learned an important lesson about the about the palm self defense move mm-hmm. is that it is it is not good against two attackers at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's how they finally take her down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Although I did like how she kept shaking him off with that. It was very <laughs> was funny amazing. because that is the most ridiculous self defense move. That would I not know. work. Nobody try it if you're in a situation. <laughs> do not do that. Just hit hit the attacker in the crotch, elbow them in the yep. face, stomp on their feet. Yeah. Don't do palm. (laughs) It was so cute, though. It is adorable. It's absolutely And that is such a fun payoff to watch Mm -hmm. that come through the movie. There's so many little details they pepper in, like the palm, like the the guy pausing and then turning into his arm again and pausing and turning. Like, Mm. every little little beat that made you go, what? Like, when you were watching the first 37 minutes has a payoff. Like, every little detail. I love it. Yeah. And I think all of us, like, we've all been horror journalists at one point, if we're not now we've gotten how many awful b movies zombie movies in particular (laughs) right nightmare alley i'm looking at you uh sorry to call out (laughs) i have a tremendous love for a new movie called pg cycle gorman uh by steven costan so good just come out and you know we watched it as our family movie night last week and my wife turns to me she's like this is so stupid and silly and i love it and it's a real skill to make like a stupid movie look smart where Mm -hmm. it's like in the horror genre in particular, there are just a lot of bad movies and what you're watching in the first 37 minutes is a really bad movie. Mm -hmm. But then when you see how everything is paid off, it's kind of wonderful at that point. And you, you become instantly forgiving as a viewer of like the first, the flaws of the first half hour of the film. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Patrick, you don't know anything about bad movies. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I I loved the first 37 minutes of this movie <laughs> unequivocally the first time through. Um, but I, I love movies. I am in love with movies. I love good movies. I love bad movies. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if somebody you know, takes the time and the energy and the effort to, you know, write, shoot, and edit, a movie together. I think that's just the most amazing thing on the planet. Um, you know, just you are the master of time and space uh, <laughs> in that uh, in that realm. And I love when you can do something special with it, and I love when you can when you can surprise me with it. But even if it's just just god awful, if I can if I can see that the people in front of the camera are enjoying what they're doing and having a good time, and that the people behind the camera. Are, are are enjoying it and having a good time that that's enough for me and mm. you know and i may never return to it again and and you know no i'm not going to say this is perfect and everyone should watch it but i i just appreciate it i just i'm just in love with the whole idea of, of movies i just think that they're magic mm-hmm. uh and they're amazing and you can make anything happen in a movie you know and 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 sometimes you can catch lightning in a bottle like here and and it becomes something truly transcendent and truly special yeah. Um, and I just respect anyone with the balls uh, to even try it. Well, Patrick, I'm going to send you everything I've ever worked on and no one else. <laughs> I tend to have a little bit more of a cynical view because I think what we've seen, and this isn't the fault of the filmmakers per se, but I think that we've seen as a culture like this embracing of like really terrible movies, like train wreck level movies like the room for example yeah like the room would be one the sharknado and the sharknado films in particular because like they're knowingly bad and it's like a wink to the audience that they're trying almost going out of their way to make a terrible movie 
and almost saying like you people will watch anything and we're gonna collect on it and i think the reason why that frustrates me so much is because especially with independent cinema and independent horror there is so much of it and there is so much of it that gets overlooked like we're going to talk about a movie next week that i think is like criminally underseen uh and not talked about and they look like people there are so many great films that are out there that you know we're done with their heart on their sleeve but also with a modicum of skill to it and yet you can't get like 30 people to gather together to watch them where if you throw the room on the big screen in a theater in a big city like 500 people will turn out to mock it so i just kind of feel like there's just i don't know like i'm always a little bit more of a cynic when it comes to like celebrating bad art versus like trying to dig in and find good stuff and yes very few people set out to make a bad movie but sometimes they do yeah and that's something we kind of talked about in our troll 2 episode was like i feel like there's you can kind of feel when there is heart to it and Mm -hmm. when there isn't you know and when it's like just try like i haven't seen sharknado um I do mm-hmm. know there's a chainsaw part with a shark, and I like both of those things, mm-hmm. but not enough to sit, <laughs> to sit through it. Yeah. But I watched Santa Jaws because yeah. Patrick, you recommended it, and I and I mean recommend. You know, I, I can't remember if you liked it or not, but I knew about it because of you, and I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. Yeah. And I don't think I made it all the way through, but it was enjoyable. <laughs> I think also just like reviewing movies for ten years, it was the folks that made like the worst movies that badgered me the most. Mm. when is the review going up but it's like dude do you really want this review <laughs> don't yeah. be careful what you wish for you you know like that yeah. monkey's paw right now is going to come back and backfire on you know it's going to come way. and smack you on the butt this yeah. little monkey paw. <laughs> it's gonna, one finger is left and i'll tell you where it's going <laughs> right in the bh um i'm just going for a lot of butt related stuff tonight yes. i don't know why i think it's uh ibs guy's fault Poop is um, totally but yeah no i mean i was gonna say i I see both sides of it right because i love campy terrible movies but i like them when they are made with heart and Mm -hmm. and earnestness as someone the first couple of projects i worked on again with with my ex that i don't like to talk about but like the first i mean i wrote we wrote the, the big movie we made was a a bad an intentionally bad movie and it was right before all that shit really started happening because we made it in like 2013 you know it was like right at the i think you know when all that kind of stuff became really really popular it was right before a fucking samurai not not samurai cop although i love that movie but there was some Wolf cop. Uh, like yes yeah, shit like that started kind of coming out left and right so we were kind of on the first wave of that mm-hmm. not to that's not to pat myself on the back in any way it's just that's to say I look back and cringe now because it's not something I would do ever now. But, you know, it was really it was a really, really fun in a lot of ways learning experience. And I got to take, you know, I I am proud of that screenplay that I wrote because I watched so many bad movies that I'm still very fond of, like Samurai Cop, Miami Connection. And I tried to write a beat for beat like really terrible screenplay and write it in this really insane way. And I feel like I learned a lot about screenwriting and, you know, and, and just comedic timing and shit from that but mm-hmm. so i will i will not gonna die on that hill but i will mm-hmm. defend it a tiny tiny bit but i completely understand where you're coming from and as someone who well up until the pandemic was trying to make actually good indie stuff <laughs> i i also appreciate that perspective i wrote a yeah. script in high school called the haunted creek and it featured like characters where one person always 
managed to get like a mop bucket stuck on his head. The main <laughs> bad guy was like the unknown fourth member of Grand Funk Railroad that was kicked out for having a pension for Fudge Ripple and Choir Boys. So mm. like my freshman year of college, I was taking a, <laughs> I was taking a script analysis class and we were doing like Ibsen's The Dollhouse. And at one point I just let slip. I'm like, this is good enough, but it's no Haunted Creek. And at which point the <laughs> professor's like, what's the Haunted Creek? And I'm like, let me tell you. So our, <laughs> oh, last, wow. oh, no. our last day of class, and I had like, this is like not pre-computer. This was like word processor days. He let me like print them out and like bring them into class. And we each took roles. And he's oh, like, no. this is like, yeah, it was great. He was there. Oh, like, wow. I, like, I remember one classmate that's like, I cannot believe I'm reading this right now. So it was, um, there was a character where, like, every time you said the words, like, hey, baby, how you and me do some dancing, like, a bunch of women would run out and feed him grapes and, like, fawn over him. Like, it was just the engine. <laughs> I really wow. feel like I should go back and write this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's this, like I said, this movie inspired me to go out and make yes. something. So you should really, this is the time for, mm -hmm. what was it called again? The Haunted Creek. The Haunted Creek. <laughs> it's its time. Yeah. If, if, we're, if we're sharing our high school screenplay stories, um, my high school screenplay was called Disco Bear. <laughs> and it was about a, a stuffed, uh, stuffed teddy bear that uh, was possessed with the soul of a dead 70s disco dancer. Hmm. Wow. Um, I like so. it. I mean, does, it, it does, could be worse. Into it. It could. Into it. Does the bear dance at some point, though? Yeah, yeah. There are there are multiple. So in the in the, after the, the opening title stinger, the first scene <laughs> is uh, is the is disco bear at a nightclub dancing with Amy. Um, what was that? What was her name? Um, the one who killed her um, boyfriend's wife. Oh, Amy uh, Fisher. A Amy Fisher. Oh, jo Amy jo Fisher. Joey Botafuco. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry. I just feel like I went through a time warp. I know. No, I know. So, <laughs> so that immediately dates, like, when I wrote this, when <laughs> right? I wrote this script. Yeah, because the first scene is, is her date. And I had this vision in my head of Disco Bear dancing with Drew Barrymore, because that was really all I wanted was but You to could only get Barrymore Amy Fisher, like, you cast it for <laughs> Drew Barrymore, but ended up, but in your, even in your head, ended up with Amy Fisher, like, ah, never land Aww. Drew Barrymore. Good to be script, realistic. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like um, Child's Play and uh, Saturday Night Fever with a little uh, mm -hmm. Fright Night. Like when you were saying Amy, I, I thought I like flashed to Chris Sarandon. And <laughs> yeah, if you want to see yeah. this, actually reminds me of one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But I I want to like it because it's outsider cinema in, in the sense of bad. Like I, it's uh, called Black Devil Doll from Hell. <laughs> Check That's it out. I think it is on. Yeah, yeah the, the, there's an really 11 fun. minute long I counted pup, puppet rape scene. So enjoy that. <laughs> 11 minutes I count. I looked at my phone. I timed it. Carry I don't on. know if I want to know this, but <laughs> is the puppet the yeah the puppet's one? raping the woman? Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. That's the opposite of what I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> there's really no good outcome in that scenario. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because we're talking about this like. I did not think that the first 37 minutes were that great. And I think if I had not known that it was one, if I didn't have to watch the whole thing and I didn't know there was going to be a big shift, I like I may have turned it off at some point if mm -hmm. it was just me watching. But there were some moments that I did really like. And it's because of those those like idiosyncrasies, I think how you put it in the synopsis, like like when they um, hear something and they just look or somebody's banging and they look and they look for several 
like moments and I really liked that because I feel like it let your mind wonder what it was and now and then you see it and it was like them getting directions from the cue cards <laughs> yeah. it's like those are that's like the lightning in the bottle moments like the shark and jaws not working mm. and so you have to make these creative choices and then yes. some of them don't totally work like cracked me up when uh, now just pops up in the middle and starts screaming <laughs> at the very end and then just like <laughs> falls down it's like the fuck is that but it you yeah. know, it's those little moments that I did really like. I like so I I like really awkward humor. <laughs> um, that's the other thing, and that's then that's one of the things that I think gives me it makes me sort of uniquely suited to tolerate bad movies. Is like whenever you know, like when 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 like you know, there's no editing in this, of course, because it's all one shot. But I think we've all seen like those bad movies where the the editing is just bad and it's just lingering on something for too long before it's switching to the to the next thing or or whatever, and it's just it's just gets into that awkward silence mm -hmm. and I'll look at that and I'll just start laughing um, <laughs> because I'm like, well, what is going on? What is mm -hmm. the point of this? And, and, you know, and if that happens enough, then I, I, you know, my brain just tells me, oh, this is hilarious yeah, mm -hmm. uh, because I like that really cringy, really awkward kind of, uh, kind of humor. Like if, if, a, if a comedian tells a joke and no one laughs and I'm, I start laughing because <laughs> of the fact that no one's laughing at, yeah. this, at this terrible joke. I'm mm -hmm. the same way. It's why I like curb your enthusiasm and all mm -hmm. that type of shit. You know, it's that just make me uncomfortable and I, part of me will really, really get something yeah. out of it. <laughs> Go back to my childhood for that one. Yep. <laughs> Same, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I thought was really funny is when she pauses at the end and it's those moments of like, why are we still, one, why are we still watching her scream? And why is she pausing? Like, why do we have this same scene happening over and over again? And I love that it's this weird, like, parallel to the very beginning of the movie and that it makes sense. Um, that human pyramid scene, I will say, triggered a little bit of my old cheerleading memories of like <laughs> having and I also had back surgery I think mm -hmm. partly because like people mm -hmm. would stand on my shoulders and like because mm -hmm. like oh I don't want people's knees on my back because like that's a long time that's a mm -hmm. lot of weight on their backs but mm -hmm. but there's zombies I guess so mm -hmm. you know yeah but I, I, I like that scene where you know where they're watching the woman scream for forever and the people are all in the room and they're like that's kind of been going on for a while don't you think Mm -hmm. And the executive producer lady's just sitting there, like looking at her phone. She just looks up and goes, "What? Yeah, What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, like, and like, there's part of me that I wonder if I wonder how much there is a commentary on horror filmmaking going on there. And as meta as this movie is, I wonder, like, are there kind of I don't want to say half baked, but not fully developed meta things too because i mean that's something i could say about other movies like why are we still watching the suffering why are we so close why haven't you shown me anybody else um especially some of the lower beer movies where mm -hmm. i don't know if they fully have a reason for i'm thinking of one in particular that i'm not going to call out but you know so I, I thought that was that was a funny moment that i think could work on several levels but also it's like this is just weird you know all it out name names <laughs> is it it's i was gonna say is it terrifier <laughs> yeah whenever i say a movie and i'm not gonna name it it's because okay. um it's terrifier <laughs> Turns out always. not to be confused with terrified which is actually really good but I terrifier really the good. clown not my cup of tea fuck <laughs> off terrifier sorry <laughs> yeah, see that's it. just let it out let it rip yeah <laughs> That is that is when we did play it. Tell you ride horror though. That one made oh, the really? cut. That one made the cut. Anna oh, and the apocalypse do. did not. And I was wondering when you said that because Anna and the apocalypse and one cut of the dead they're both like real feel good horror movies. Mm -hmm. Like they're like this. I think is uh -oh. like 
this is kind of what comfort horror I think in a lot of ways means yeah. to me is it just left me feeling really good mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying the movies that leave me feeling really bad don't work because I think hereditary is fantastic but mm-hmm. it's just I wonder if that's what they meant when they were there's like yeah. this is an yeah it's, it's not really scary it doesn't leave you like that kind of feeling like they want you to feel Rah. Yeah, there's no zombies at all in this thing. We do exactly. like a we do like a ton of horror comedies. Like we do a lot of horror. I think like the like we did what is it? You might be the killer uh, mm. from Brett McKnight, where I got to do a Q and A. Yeah, we've done like a ton of like horror comedies, but for whatever reason, they're like we don't think it'll play to our crowd. Which I don't know. That's just, just a missed opportunity. Was a Look, I hate comedies. Like there there are like five that I actually like, really? and I love horror. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of comedy, but I love horror comedy mm-hmm. because it's got that like horrific element, and I feel like it's like in my world, so I mm-hmm. get the humor. You know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, I would respectfully ask the programmers there to reconsider horror yeah. comedies because they're great. I think at one point during the closing night party, I was talking to an emerging filmmaker and she's like, you know, like, how do I get you my film? I'm like, well, what will happen is like, you'll show me your film. I'll recommend it. The guy next to me will turn it down and tell me no. <laughs> and he just looked at me. I'm like, you know, it's going to happen. And I love the dude, <laughs> you know, I love him. I guess like the one movie, like we had a slot one year and like it just like a movie dropped out last second and i happened to bring future justice by richard mar griffin where if you like want to watch like intentionally can't be fun bad movies like because his movies aren't bad they're amazing um future justice is this like weird sci-fi horror movie and i'm like look guys if you don't like it you can just punch me in the face later and then <laughs> like a couple hours later like from down the here street i hear hey you i'm gonna punch you in the fucking face <laughs> and i'm like whoa <laughs> wow yeah so made just, a powerful enemy i made a really well he you know i don't know he never punched me so maybe he well that's true you know, he made a he made a not so powerful enemy. maybe he wasn't right. powerful <laughs> Um, but Disco uh, Exorcist, everybody should watch that. <laughs> Is that just like Disco Bearer? I know. No, it's about an exorcist that discos. You know why not? Yeah. That sounds a little bit like the uh, the priest from um, Dead Alive. No. You know, like I kick ass for Christ. For, I kick ass for the Lord. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's a little <laughs> more like digression. I have sex orgies for the Lord type of movie. But that was oh well, you yeah, know, there's a lot of that going on in this. That's one. just the Catholic Church. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> That is, that is the church. I'm glad I'm you sorry. said it because I was going to say it. Yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> These anal beads are for Jesus. Oh my God. That's just a rosary. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> More. I know. Uh, I popped up. I popped up. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else that we want to mention in this movie? I kind of want to talk about cute glasses guy because he's so cute and I love him. <laughs> no, he is. I was just gonna say, and he gets he gets shit on in this movie so badly. He yeah, gets puked, puked on. on the whole time. I yeah. was gonna say one of my favorite reveals in the movie is that the puke is you know air quotes is it real, real? <laughs> you know? Because I was like, I why does the zombie puke on him? And then it's like, oh, <laughs> like, and him just crying when they're putting the makeup in and his he can shirt say, on. No wipes, no wipes, and they're like, sorry, no, no. <laughs> but I love like him and Co. Um, those are the two that we really see a change in their personality. I guess to an extent, the director, although I 
you know, I was kind of expecting that one. But I love like the the meta quality of like how like we talked about earlier, like this is an actor playing an actor playing a, a crew member, like the levels of that and that these characters have their own distinct personalities, even though it doesn't really affect the film that much. It's just like these little moments of like this actor wanted to have a great character that came alive on the screen, you know, and that he was allowed to do that, you know. Yeah, so it feels like an ensemble film or like an ensemble comedy TV show to me for that reason. Like I could see all these characters getting expanded into like recurring characters who you get to know and love. They all had that much character to them. Yeah. Yeah, like the lady who yeah. kept like slipping off the pyramid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. That's well, what I like about that moment is like Ko, who's kind of been a prick the whole movie, like steps up and like takes her place in the mm-hmm. pyramid at that point. Like I really did like that. Also, I like the pop star ends up getting puke on her. Yeah, um, me too. It's kind of nice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And crying without the, yes. the eye drops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those sweet little moments, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and and they do. They they actually made a like a short film spinoff or sequel uh, called Mission Remote. And it's on YouTube. Oh. Um, you can find it. I think it's called One Cut of the Dead Mission Remote. And it's it's a similar kind of setup where they, they come and approach the director again. And they're like, we want you to make this true crime drama <laughs> shot entirely by remote. And he goes through the whole like. <laughs> You know, he could laugh. Oh, that's 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 hilarious. You guys are funny. And they, no, they're serious. And it's really good. And and actually, to, it was a testament to me for how good these actors really are, because the director and his wife and the daughter, like they all they all show up in different like Zoom windows oh. in the movie. And I'm like and I, and I was confused mm-hmm. for like five minutes watching this thing going, why aren't they all quarantining together? Oh, and then I realized, like, oh, wait, they're not actually a family. They're <laughs> actors playing a family, so they can't be together. Right. Um, and it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I was like, oh, no, I thought they were, I thought they were really a family. I know, and especially really, the father. Like, He's my... like, but they love each other, right? <laughs> they actually right. They all love each other. Well, when you were talking about the director, I just assumed it was him, you know, <laughs> yeah. the actor who's playing the director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that's great. The other the other thing I wanted to definitely talk about is they call her the old the older lady, the executive producer lady. This was her first time acting. Ever. Really? Really? Yeah. She's got um, such a unique she... look and vibe to her too. I love her. Yeah. Yes. Uh and and this was such a big hit in Japan that she is now, I think like she is now like in demand uh a, like a working actor. She was a she was a bureaucrat um which is a job you can get in Japan, I guess. <laughs> Just and, generic uh, bureaucrat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And she and she showed up to this workshop, you know, wanting to wanting to do some acting. And yeah, and because this movie was so big in uh, uh not just in Japan but all all over the world that uh that yeah, and she has such a distinctive face um that yeah, I guess she's showing up in places now like commercials and and things like that. That so, rules. Um you know, good yeah. for her. I like especially I mean this sounds kind of weird but like I I like seeing older actors succeed like especially for like breakout roles and stuff like that because it's mm. so rare to see older actors get like big roles gets the spotlight and the older you are the harder it is to break into film typically just from a purely you know hollywood standpoint i guess but so that mm-hmm. just that just rolls yeah especially for yeah. women yeah exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah oh oh and the baby was the director's baby like oh really the actual, oh, the actual director of the that. film <laughs> yeah his uh his uh, son was born like while they were uh, while they were like doing uh, rehearsal I was thinking that that baby looks very young. Like that does not look like a one year old playing a two month old. You know, it's not fully also, fully baked yet. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, do we think that the couple, the banging couple, do you think they actually got into a collision or did they have a collision? I think like they, they were colliding parts. <laughs> like when you when like your hip bones, like your pelvic bones just whack mm-hmm. into each other and the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you like hit the reverse and then you hit the gas again. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that cracked me up. I kept trying to figure out who they were playing. Yeah, I I was like, oh, yeah. What? I think that's why they kept having him walk around, like, repeating the line. Yeah. So you remember who they were. Yeah. (laughs) She lost the whole palm thing. That was was really sweet. Well, as we're winding down, is there anything else we want to talk about? I think we've kind of... There's all. Oh, I will say I did not catch at all that the director had summoned the zombies on the top of the roof with the star. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a star. Is it a pentagram? Um, and then I was reading, uh, Patrick, I think I was reading your review. And I was like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> and I love that it doesn't really matter. Like, you can still like the movie, you know? So yeah. It just. It's, it's it's funny because the movie they're making is about a director who is going to these extreme lengths to make his art. But what the movie is actually about is all the extreme things that everyone has to do to make the film that they're making come together. Mm-hmm. It's just really, it's fun. And that moment, like, you feel like you're on their team, too. You yeah. Know? It's when they yeah. count, like, <laughs> like, and then at the very end, when we were showing the, um, like, the, the real crew, and you see the camera at the very top, like, I wanted to see them, like, pan out the, and the see pyra- them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the pyramid. Because behind I, that you know. is another pyramid, and behind that is a bigger pyramid. <laughs> An even bigger pyramid, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. I was also thinking when I was watching, uh, I think Chinatsu is the final girl, when when you know that she's not staring at some kind of killer or alien or something, you know she's looking at everybody who's like, this is the culmination of really trying to make this work. I thought that was just really sweet and, mm-hmm. and moving, you know. Yeah, love it. And uplifting, if you will, which mm-hmm. now it's time for an uplifting moment. <laughs> This is where we share any grounding or self-care that's been particularly effective for us recently. Uh, Grounding and coping techniques are little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through tough days or moments. And self-care is anything we do to take care of ourselves. Anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And my self-care this week, I have recently rediscovered Ina Garten and Barefoot Contessa. (laughs) I love that show. It's like so ASMR for me. Like I watched this episode where she made French food and I was like, no, I mean, for the right, like there's a little waspiness there that I don't know if I fully support, but like, man, (laughs) her kitchen is so soothing. I'm like, oh, just want to like watch you make like warm cheese bowls, Mm. you know? So that, that's been my self-care today. Would anyone else care to share? Sure. I mean, I was finally able to find myself. Like, I've, you know, I've talked about my weight here before. It's like the issue struggling with that. So I was able to get connected to a place that like specializes in counseling for eating disorders. Like that's what their therapist specialized. And I was able to kind of like bulldoze my way into like getting to the front of the list somehow and got hooked up within a week with a person and have a dietitian I'm working with as well. So it's been interesting, like having my first actual counseling session as a counselor, because Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like comparing, like, how would I like during the intake? I'm like, how would I handle this versus, you know, how he's handling me right now? And I hope he never stumbles on this. I'm going to stick with him. (laughs) 
for a bit because there's just such a long line of just like such a waiting list to get anybody right now but i think i've got like the ray romano of counselors <laughs> it's just like this super low energy like low like huh so what do you think you should do? I'm like, I don't know, dude. If I knew I wouldn't be here right now, right. I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be doing it. So, but, you know, it's definitely like I've got a couple things I've been trying with like the dietitian that I think are going to work pretty well. And it feels good to have some of that under control and not feel mm -hmm. like it's controlling me anymore. Like, because I don't drink, I don't smoke. I find like weed super boring. Like I've said that before here, like, and that's not a judgment on anyone that likes those things. Like I've mm -hmm. spent the majority of my life as a frustrated punk kid. So that's <laughs> kind of where I'm coming from. Um, but like food is like my alcohol, like, yeah. So I'm really hoping to get that under control this year. So That's awesome. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yay. I just started journaling again a little bit, just like slacked off with that completely. And, I, and I've just been making a concerted effort to do it. And I've done it three days in a row now. So <laughs> just like writing down my thoughts and like, you know, examining my own negative thoughts on paper and stuff. Um, especially now I'm, I'm back to seeing my therapist only once a month. So I felt like I was really similarly, like my moods and things were starting to control me more than vice versa. And I needed to do something just to start feeling a little bit in control again. And uh, it, it does help. And I don't know how long it will last. And I'm really going to try not to think about it. And I'm just going to take it one day at a time and just try to make a concerted effort to do one little thing every day that helps me feel more in control. Uh, I think it's also helping that the cold snap broke <laughs> and it's like warming up a little bit. I mm. feel a little bit less like everything in the world is making me stay inside and mm -hmm. completely alone. So, <laughs> you know, it it makes a difference. No. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for me, I mean, this isn't something I've done. I've been able to do recently, but I do think about it a lot. A few years ago, my wife had signed us all up to volunteer at a, at a local food bank in Orlando. You know, and I didn't, I didn't really want to do it because I, you know, I kind of, she had gone like the week before and she told me like, like, you know, some people pack food into boxes and some people like, they, they have to sort through all the, like basically all the expired meat and vegetables and stuff and everything that, uh, um, you know, the Publix and whoever doesn't want sh shows up there and they have to, anything that's like rotten or spoiled, they have to throw away. And like no, nothing about any of that really appealed to me. Uh, but I, but I went cause you, you're, you go and you do your good deeds and, and whatnot. And when I got there, I'm like, well, they had enough people to do all that stuff. And I'm like, I kind of went up to the guy. I'm like, well, what, what would you like me to do? I'm here. I'm here to help. And he said, um, and he pointed me to this huge stack of cardboard boxes. He's like, we, I need someone to break down these cardboard boxes and put them in the box crusher and crush them. And then people are going to bring you more boxes and you'll break those down and put them in the crusher and crush them. And so for three hours, that's all I did is I just sat there basically in silence and I ripped boxes apart and then put them in a machine. And when the machine filled up, I pushed a button and they, they crushed down. And for three hours, and it was, it was during a period of time when I was really stressed out at work. And for three hours, I knew what my purpose was <laughs> on earth. Uh, I understood why I was doing it. <laughs> and I had a way to visually visualize how much I had completed toward that goal because I could see the boxes stacking up and mm -hmm. then crushing down and I could see my pile dwindling and and it was just so refreshing like <laughs> not to have to like make any like difficult decisions oh, yeah. not have to answer questions 
not have to talk to people mm-hmm. and you know and just this this is my life for three hours and <laughs> it was it was wonderful and it and it was like this weight just lifted off off of my shoulders mm. um and anybody who like has to do a job like that for a living is probably saying fuck you yeah and, <laughs> <laughs> but for me it was uh i just found it very very relaxing so you know when i get stressed now i try to look for like some kind of like physical task that i can do that's somewhat repetitive uh, where there's some like evidence of what I've done or some way to like measure like what I've what I've accomplished, whether it's like chopping firewood or, you know, mowing the lawn or mm-hmm. um, you know, gardening, whatever whatever it is. Um hmm. I love that. I do too. Yeah. The book Burnout that I was reading a while ago that I finally finished. Hooray. Hooray. Um, <laughs> they talked about movement as part of like completing the stress cycle and that like you you move and like it gets your body is working through things. And I found that with running. Although I like what you're saying about like there's a like a, a visual accomplishment, you know, which like on my treadmill, I don't really get that. I just get the time. And so, you know, that's interesting. Also sounds really fun and really satisfying. Yeah. Like, have you ever watched the strangely satisfying things where they just crush stuff? I, it's yeah. really fun. I love watching industrial videos of things getting crushed. It's like one of my mm. favorite things in the world. That's my ASMR. <laughs> yeah. We um, found, yeah. It's like reusable bubble wrap. They're like shaped like waffles. And they're these plastic things that get, have like the same kind of consistency and sound of like popping bubble wrap. And you oh, can wow. and they're dishwasher safe. So we got a couple for our daughter. So yeah, it's like her like your little fidget. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like popping bubble wrap is one of life's simple pleasures. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's true. Just want to be left oh. alone on a beach to pop mm-hmm. an infinite roll of bubble wrap. <laughs> That's how I want to die. I will I have found though, I don't like being around when other people are Oh no. No, that's awful. It's all about you in that moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just got to go sit by yourself in a closet and do it or something. Like, turn the lights on and mm-hmm. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm going down a different road, I think. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> well, we want to hear from you. What is your current self-care? What do you think about One Cut of the Dead? What's on your mind? You know, what's what's up? Um, you can share answers to these questions and more by following us at Psycho A Pod on socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's private and moderated, and there are people there that are just really great. And in fact, Patrick is one of the moderators in that group, and you post there quite frequently. And also, (laughs) yes, and want to say a big kind of shout out and thank you to Patrick, too, because, um, you you know, we've known each other for a couple of years. This is actually the first time we're actually talking, which is really cool. But um, Patrick has just been really supportive this last year. Um, Last year was kind of a rough year. Um, And. I just I'm really grateful for you just been a really good friend really supportive like when I was having a lot of anxiety around social media he just said hey do you want me to do questions of the day for a little while and just took that on and that was great and so I'm just Patrick is a great guy you should all follow him you know interact with him he's really cool so thank you for all of that and for you know joining us You're today. Welcome. So. I'm going to make my wife listen to this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you'd like to share privately. Um, and our homework question for the day is, what is your favorite movie about movies? So look for a prompt for that. Um, but I'm interested to hear the answer because I can think of a couple, but I'm sure that like, 
you know, those are those are like the niche movies I feel like people tend to find. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear what you think. And let's see. So what's up next for us? We are continuing our month on schizophrenia with They Look Like People. Um, still haven't seen it, so I don't know if that tone is appropriate or not. It's probably not. It's not. It's not, but but that's okay. I still enjoyed hearing you yes. say it. So. <laughs> nice. Well, and so on that note, like I, so check out They Look Like People because we're going to spoil it, but also th- this is one of the months that I've no. been really grateful for, the comfort horror movies to kind of lighten it up just a little bit. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, this was a good chaser mm-hmm. for Hereditary, for yes. sure. It really was. <laughs> a happier family film. Yeah. We did Hereditary, and then we did Frontiers last night for my other show. So it's a lot of feelings, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's coming up for us. And we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here, there, and everywhere. I don't know why I always want to say it weird. Um, <laughs> along with other pods like Halloweenies and the Losers Club and lots of pop culture writing and stuff. And Patrick, where can we find you online? And what is coming up for Not Suitable for Anyone? Okay, uh, so you can find me on, on Twitter most of the time. I'm at Finn Horror, and I also you know, host a podcast called Not Suitable for Anyone, uh, which you can find anywhere that, uh, that podcasts are sold. I uh, have just, uh, I'm just finishing up an episode that will drop, uh, that uh, probably already has dropped at this point, with uh, the director of Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter. Um, <laughs> Wait, where, so, like a, a mosquito? Where like a Like a... Yeah, were skeeto like a werewolf, but, but it's instead a it's a it's a mosquito. Yeah. Wow! Um, and they hunt and, Nazis. Uh, and he hunts mm, Nazis. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, it's basically think of the fly meets Inglorious Bastards, as directed by Roger Corman on a five thousand dollar budget. Mm. Got um, it. You know, it's, I want to uh, see it. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's uh, the director. The director is Christopher Mim. It's like that was like his eleventh or twelfth movie he's made. Um, you know, 16, 17 features now, uh, and they're all, you know, sort of like throwback uh, monster movies. Uh, most of them, almost all of them are in black and white, and he's just a really great guy, and it was a really fun interview. I also have interviews with, um, you know, like the director of uh, The Velocipaster, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and um, Rondo, and just uh, some of my favorite films. We talked about you know sort of bad movies or underseen movies earlier. I mean that's that's really what uh, what I try to to focus on. I, mm-hmm. I frequently call it the worst idea for a podcast ever because <laughs> I, I'm literally talking about movies that almost no one has seen and <laughs> and and no one is, is is interested in hearing about. But I'm interested in it, and I find the uh, the interviews in particular fascinating. So yeah. I support that's why this. I do it. I support well, it. <laughs> and you've you've recommended some movies that I really loved that I never would have heard of. Um, like Eat Me is the one that immediately comes to mind, which just really blew my mind. And you also have a really great interview with that director too. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I want what uh, now. Ooh, I'm curious. It's, it's good. Um, we'll maybe talk a little bit because it maybe requires a little bit of a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. But it's I loved it. It's one of those like flips on a dime kind of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, you also recommended white chocolate Reese's cups to me, which are <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so uh, I don't know where that was going, but yeah. So check that podcast out because you have a lot of really cool recommendations of stuff that I never would have heard of. You know. And and for more life hacks, follow me at Finn Horror. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. We had the we have a lot of Simpsons interactions as well. And I promise one day I'm going to watch Bagman. I really will. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, oh, and I did just I did just start a, a brand new Twitter account called One Cheap Shot. Ah. Um, it's like One Perfect Shot, except for micro budget films. So, <laughs> oh, that's um, fun. I've I've kind of set a soft limit of like fifty thousand dollars as the as the budget, and um, people are finding it so far. It's uh, it's it's been fun. That, that's, that's awesome. That, that's really up my alley. I like that a lot. One cheap shot. Yeah. Cool. Mike, what about you? Where can we find you? So you can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, you can also find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, wherever you get podcasts right now. So we are in the middle of doing our kind of dive into like French horror. So by the time this is up, I believe we will have our shows on Martyrs and Frontiers are both live. And we have uh, Raw coming up next. And I believe we're going to be finishing off with Inside. So, Ooh. yeah, we have, you know, Mama some mia. rough ones, some rough oh, ones. No. But then we're doing the Evil Dead franchise. So nice. I think <laughs> we're going to like, really dive into some fun shit. So find me there. Fun. And Laura, what about you? Oh, well, you can find me. <laughs> I always trap myself with this. You, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-L-L-S. Much like the, oh God, I don't want to say this. It's like the, 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 bloody, the bloody zombie underpants that you throw off to Ooh. have diarrhea during the film that you're making Ooh. an all-in-one shot. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of anything else. We talked about <laughs> IBS guy so much. That's at you Underalls. Have to. <laughs> it's right there. It's right there, yeah. and I, uh, get, uh, I gotta take. You a gotta shower. take the low hanging fruit sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah and boy, was it hanging, Even when it hanging gives you the down runs. low. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's at Underalls U N D E R L S on Twitter and at Instagram on Instagram, like Instagram with a mood disorder. Those were all words, right? Um, okay. They're all. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you just kind of dissociate while you're talking, Ooh. and you're like, yep. I don't. And I'm occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies. Um, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the places. You can also find me on the Losers Club and writing for Consequence of Sound. And I'm about to cover South by Southwest, which is I'm excited oh, about. Cool. A awesome. little nervous. It's my first, like, I covered a festival earlier, but this is the first, like, one where I think mm-hmm. there's, you know. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Anyways, so you can find me there. And yeah writing stuff and talking about stuff too those are all words also <laughs> those are all words that just were said <laughs> i know Woo. i mean i feel like you know kind of goes with the theme of of this movie mm-hmm. you know we're just get, we're gonna we're make it, it work it'll be we're great. It work. we are pulling it off well and that's our episode on one cut of the dead stay tuned immediately after our theme music for a whole other podcast about all of the wacky <laughs> stuff that happened behind the scenes when we were recording this episode <laughs> what if there were like podcasters behind us that were like whispering like stuff <laughs> like Cyrano de Bergerac <laughs> oh my gosh uh, I'm kidding there will not be that <laughs> don't, but don't wait that, would, <laughs> that might be a little too meta um, Patrick thank you so much for joining us thank this was you. so much fun this movie yeah, you're welcome oh thanks for having me oh of course listeners thank you so much for spending time with us please take care of yourselves and take care of each other and with that let's sign off we came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves and we're, we're all, all out of, of bubblegum bubble <laughs> cut cut <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Consequence Podcast Network.